and I called my mother and I said, I've been cast in this new show and it's got, um, it's got an orgy scene and some S&M and in the end, um, Jack the Ripper shows up and kills her. Um, and I'm playing um, her pimp. Um, and my mother said, well, do you have to take off your clothes? And I said, no. And she said, well, then it's okay. <laughs> Hi, I'm Wendy Worthington, and you've entered a world gone good. Well, hello, my name is Steve, and this is the place where we shine the light and or find the light in the darkness to prove there is still good out there and lots of it. This is World Gone Good, and I'm your good host, still working on getting my full voice back, but the show must go on, yes? Yes. You can support this here show by sharing us with your friends on all your social media platforms. That'd be awesome. (laughs) Subscribing wherever you are listening to us right now and rating and reviewing us every time you do one or all of these steps, you help more new people find and join our good revolution. And for that, as always, we say thank you. Can you believe we are just a few weeks away from our three-year anniversary and our kickoff of season four? We launched our first three episodes on October 7th, 2020, and here we are, 141 episodes later still going with this good thing we record with our guests and then we edit the shows down make it more you know snackable (laughs) we take out a lot of ums and you knows we make it sound good you get me you get me so i got to thinking here we are with all these recordings that you haven't heard in their entirety and then i was like what better way to head into our three-year anniversary And looking back at some of our previous good shows and letting you, our listener, in on the full, unedited, unaired interview and recording. The whole shebang. Parts of these conversations we used, but most of it landed on the cutting room floor. Today, we're going back 100 plus episodes to episode number 32, Musicals Gone Good. Here comes Wendy Worthington with her unedited good story. We're going to start really wide here because this is the questions I'm asking of several people. What is good about a musical? What is good about a musical? Wow. Well... The first musical I remember ever seeing, uh, I saw in eighth grade, and they bust us up to the high school to see the production of Music Man. And I sat there in the audience with 76 trombones coming down the aisles all around me, and people singing and people dancing, and I thought, this is so amazing. This is such an amazing world to be in. And it's amazing that this is in the world. And um, I know that there are people, my brother, Jeff is one of them, who think musicals are weird. They, they say people don't burst into song spontaneously. And I say, well, you don't live in my world then. Um, but <laughs> but um, I think they are 
quite wonderful in the way that they heighten uh, the way that you can look at the world. Um, generally, people don't burst into musicals, into into musical numbers, and start dancing most of the time. Um, but wouldn't it be wonderful if they could? Oh yeah. <laughs> You're the second person who's um, referenced the Music Man as their <laughs> first, yeah, and um, and that's really funny. I was in the Music Man uh, when what I did was. You play? Oh my god! So I was such a clod. Um, I didn't play. I didn't play anybody. I wanted to play. Was his name Winthrop? Yes, yes, Winthrop. Okay, see, I so my memory. So I still got it. Chipoopy. Um, right, yes, that was my dad. So my dad was Marcellus Washburn. Uh huh. Um, and so he sang Chipoopy and creepily. Oh, Okay. Yes. Creepily, my sister was his girlfriend. Oh. So yeah, yeah that was you know, that was a talk of the town. Oh. Um, that's a whole other musical. Um, <laughs> what is your favorite musical? Do you have one that you single out as the go-to favorite? Um. Well, these days maybe Hamilton. I mean, excuse excuse me, my cat. Whenever I am on. Anything my cat has to participate. My cat. And he just interrupted to say cats. He's like, my no, <laughs> your favorite musical is cats. One of my least favorites is cats, actually. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, whenever I, I have, I, I do a lot of auditions on tapes these days, on tape these yeah. days. And uh, he's always got to be in them. And uh, frequently the more <laughs> he participates, the more likely I am to actually book it. So I can't. Oh, good. Well, there you go. <laughs> so Hamilton, did you have you seen Hamilton on Broadway? Have you seen it touring? I saw it here uh, in the, at the Pantages. Um, I got uh, I went with two friends, and we couldn't even get seats together, even at the exorbitant price that we were willing to pay. And I was in the very last row, but it was the row that it was the seat that that the steps led up to. So I didn't have people in front of me. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It was quite wonderful. I could just barely read the supertitles which was very helpful. Although I had, um, I had, uh, I had actually bought the album and listened to it a lot. And I actually did um, King George in a, um, <laughs> in one of the um, uh, benefits that we did at Wicked uh, while, while I was on tour with Wicked, I did King George and I made, um, I made a wig uh, out of, a wig and a, and a costume out of stuff I bought at the 99 cent store. Um, <laughs> I had um, the wig was a, 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 a toilet seat cover, uh, a white, white uh, toilet seat cover with, you know, like tightly bunched um, um, ringlet kind of things. And then I glued on small um, paint rollers for the, the curls along the side. Sure. Sure. And, um, uh, and, and got some help from our, our uh, uh, hair department <laughs> to, to make it. Um, so I had I had performed that before I'd actually seen the musical because I saw it after I got – I think I saw it after I got back from tour. I'm not sure, actually. Um, so you, and, then I've, and then I've seen the, uh, the one on the, – the, the film of it on uh, Disney. On Disney, yes. On Disney Plus. Yes, Disney Plus. So you have a long history of theater. I do. Um. And what was the biggest part for you? I don't mean that in a in a mean way or a bad way. What was the what was like the biggest thing you did before you went on tour with Wicked? Um hmm. Well, it might have been the first thing I did when I came to LA. Although 
the the biggest thing that I that I did was the first thing that I ever did. Uh, I wanted to find out. I wasn't really aiming to be an actor, um, but I, in high school I was in a summer enrichment course in student filmmaking, and I thought at some point I should get some acting experience just to get a sense of what was involved with all of that. So in my junior year, I auditioned for the school musical, um, which was South Pacific. And I was cast as Bloody Mary. Oh, I walked out on stage and I was in love with the whole experience of being there. And I I would never get to play Bloody Mary now, um, not being Asian. Right, right. But in my high school, which was predominantly white, we had used up all the Asians in the other roles. So I got to play her. <laughs> um, and I love, I love that character. I just love her. I think she's a, she's, I, I totally understand her. I totally, totally get what she's about. And, and her songs are in my range and, <laughs> and it was glorious. And then I, then I did, um, I did a lot of community theater back there when I was, not concentrating on being an actor full time, but that was my part-time thing. Um, and I got to play um, uh, Fräulein Schneider in Cabaret twice. And of course, the first time I played her, I was 17. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out there singing, when you're as old as I, is anyone as old as I? I'm thinking, everybody in this audience is older than I am. <laughs> but I love that role too. That Just a great great part. And then when I first moved to LA, I didn't even, I moved to LA to do film and TV, but um, I didn't even realize how much theater there was in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and I had kind of decided that by the time I got here, I would try to do mostly new stuff, not do too much of the kind of stuff that I could have done back, back East. Yeah. Uh, and so I, one of the very first things that I auditioned for was a, um, a new musical called Lulu that was based on the, the two of the Frank Vatican plays um, that were um, German expressionist kind of thing. And it was originally supposed to be presented by um, Celebration Theater, but about 10 days before we were due to open, they decided that it wasn't gay enough for them Mm-hmm. And they pulled the funding and everybody involved in the show managed to come up with the money that we needed to, in order, cause we weren't doing it at celebration. So we didn't have to worry about invading their space. We were doing it at, at a, at a different space. And we came up with the uh, funding ourselves and, and did it. And I was originally only going to be playing a small role in it. Um, and I called my mother and I said, um, I've been cast in this new show and it's got, um, it's got an orgy scene and some S and M, and the main character uh, is prostituting herself and is in love with a lesbian, but she's sleeping with a couple of men to get uh, to advance her career. And in the end, um, Jack the Ripper shows up and kills her. Um, and I'm playing um, her pimp. Um, and my mother said, well, do you have to take off your clothes? And I said, no. And she said, well, then it's okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I thought you were going to end it by saying, and mother, how many tickets would you like? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then, and then the, um, 
one of the other, uh, there was another, there was a guy in it who was playing, there was this ringmaster character who's kind of the, sort of the MC um, uh, in cabaret kind of thing, but sort of a circus ringmaster character. And sure. the, the actor playing it um, then obviously got a look at the whole script and decided that his mother did, wasn't as generous as mine was. <laughs> and and he dropped out. And they, oh. they came to me and said, would you be interested in playing that role as well? Oh, nice. And I said, yeah, okay. So suddenly I had this huge role, which event, uh, we ended up getting six Dramalog Awards and I got one and the whole Good show got you. one. Good for and, you. Uh, and it was really the, my, I, I got introduced to a whole lot of, a lot of people. It, it was a great way to get started in Los Angeles. I mean, I had, been, I, we started rehearsals. I'd been here maybe two or three weeks. Wow. Um, and uh, it was an amazing experience. And some of the, some of the people that I, a couple of the people that I met in that I'm still in touch with or friends with what our stage manager is a very good friend of mine. And um, so that was an amazing, amazing experience. And I, I have what's, <laughs> what somebody described as a, um, a soprano baritone voice. <laughs> <laughs> that I have, I have essentially, I can, yeah, not really quite a soprano, more of a mezzo, but I can also sing very low. And, um, it was particularly useful for a role like that because, um, uh, you couldn't tell anything. It was a very, um, amorphous, um, uh, character. You couldn't really tell what, even what, um, gender was supposed to be either of the right. characters, that or right. the, or the, uh, or the pimp character. And um, I had uh, I was driving home from dress rehearsal down Hollywood Boulevard, and I had my I hadn't bothered to take off my makeup, and my hair was all slicked down and and um, had darkened in some sideburns, and my face was very pale, and I had black lipstick on and black fingernail polish and so forth, and I I suddenly thought, you know, if my car breaks down here in the middle of Hollywood, I'm gonna fit right in. <laughs> But, so, yeah, so many, many, many years go by. Yes, I say respectfully. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I've been and, out here. I've been out here. My my niece was three years old when I moved out here, and she just turned thirty one. Yeah, so, yeah, it's right. My my niece, my niece wasn't even born, <laughs> and she just is about to turn twenty seven. So yeah, I, I I feel that. Yeah. Um. And then you had out. Where did this happen? You went on tour with Wicked. I went Take on us, tour with Wicked. How did that happen? What was the first thing that happened? How did you even find out about it? Did you audition for it? Did they call you? Well, um, I worked very hard when I first got here to get um, a theatrical uh, agent. Now, theatrical agents, for those who don't know, handle you for film and television. They don't necessarily also handle you for theater. But I wanted to find somebody who I wanted to find an agency where it was more than one more than a one person shop and where they really respected um, theater work and understood theater work as part of the mix. I didn't move here to become a theater actor because if you're going to try to make a living at it, this isn't the place to do it. Right. But it was always going to be part of part of what I did. Um, because of my own background and because of my own, you know, having having done theater for a long time before I decided to concentrate on acting full time. 
So I did research and um, the there were about six agencies that fit my basic criteria, but the top one was always the one that was run by Josh Shilitz, um, who had, and most of the, the really good theater people who were in Los Angeles were represented by Shilitz. Right. Um, so I, I really concentrated on, on signing with them. And um, uh, at the end of, the, I'd been here almost a year and, and um, managed to sign with, they were exactly who I wanted to be. I'm still with them, even though Josh has moved on. He's a manager in New York now. I still keep in vague touch with him, not as not as close as I would like to, because he he was always incredibly supportive. But um, but the remains of his agency that are um, struggling through COVID right now um, are still out here, and they're still my agents. Um, and they would occasionally send me out for some theater projects. Um, the problem was that um, every time they would send me out for, they would send me out for maybe two musicals a year. And they were always huge things like the Vancouver, Canada production of Ragtime that was coming from Broadway wow. or um, the Hollywood Bowl production of um, uh, Into the Woods or Mamma Mia. And I've always had a, a problem. I've always had a problem with, with musicals in general because I was under the impression when I first started um, as an actor that people who were on Broadway had incredible, they must have incredible musical backgrounds and they must have had like degrees and they could read music, they could write music, they could sight read a part, they could, um, uh, they, they had um, co vocal coaches and, and um, singing teachers and they knew everything about it and, and so forth. And I had none of that. And uh, so I was all, I have always been very, um, um, I was, I was just been very, very, uh, had a problem with feeling myself, feeling like I was really confident in what I was doing in musicals. Um, so I had almost gotten to the point where I was going to my agents and saying, don't, please don't send me out for, for musicals anymore because they, I, they terrify me and then I freeze. Um, and I don't do my best work. And, um, everybody I was auditioning with had these huge three ring notebooks full of songs that they could sing at the drop of a hat. Right. That were all arranged and, and um, you know, they could present it to a, 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 a yeah, um, an accompanist at an audition. And, you know, they would say, well, do you have something more upbeat? And they would go, Oh yes. And flip through it. I have one song. I still, <laughs> only, have, I still only have one song. What is your one song? It's not a song that anybody has ever heard. It was written by a man named Foreman Brown, who I got to know in the final years of his life. It was written for Elsa Lancaster, the, the Bride of Frankenstein, yeah, who had quite a cabaret career thanks to Foreman. Um, and it was a song that he had written based on a casual remark that her husband, Charles Lawton, had made. Um, and it's called, I'm Glad to See You're Back. And I did it. With Foreman's blessing, and Foreman got to hear me do it a number of times, um, I used it to show off my range because I would sing the verse in my head voice and as the woman and the chorus 
in my chest voice as the man. Oh, nice. Um, I, I actually did it. Uh, it's, it's online somewhere. I think I'm not sure it might not be, but I did it during uh, one, another one of the, uh, wicked benefits. Um, I didn't have a lot of material to, to present to the wicked benefits. (laughs) (laughs) And it is, it is my, it is my, it is my audition song. Um, Michael Donovan, wonderful casting director who has brought me in for lots and lots of things is probably sick of it because it's probably all he's ever heard me sing. Um, except when I've, you know, gone on and done shows and then learned something for the show that was actually in the show. But, uh, so I had this one song and I, I was really close to saying to my agents, don't send me for any more musical auditions because I, 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 I just freeze. I, I can't, I can't do my best. You can send me, you can, you can have me cold read a scene, um, with a really bad reader reading the other lines and I, it doesn't throw me at all. I love it. I know what I'm doing. I can, can create a, give me an adjustment. I can do that. I have no problem, but a singing audition terrifies me. And, um, I didn't say that to them. I didn't go to them. Um, mostly because I was a little ashamed of having waited so long. (laughs) Um, but I mean, they would send me, they would send me for things that I, 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 I got a, an audition and then I got a call back for the the uh, project that was in development at the Pasadena Playhouse that became Sister Act on Broadway. Oh, wow. They kept sending me in for the, the rapping nun. And I, <laughs> I don't know why. Oh. I could never do that. Right. I, I can't think that fast. I've done, um, I've done Gilbert and Sullivan, so I can do patter songs, but don't ask me. That's not my strength. Um. So anyway, I never sat. I never sat down with my agents and had that conversation. And then the um, the casting directors for Wicked um, were Telsey and Company, who are the main casting director in New York for for most musicals. And they had started coming out to the West Coast and eventually established an office out here, um, expanding their their work. But anytime you see anything even when you see musicals that are on TV, you know, some of the live stuff, it's always Telsey that does the casting. And so they came out here at one point to do something else. And they decided to, because Wicked was on tour and had been on tour for a number of years at that point, um, they were constantly having to find new people to replenish the cast because the ensemble, um, they had, there were eight principals in Wicked. There were eight, ensemble members there are four now six swings who can do all of the roles and everything is understudied double understudied right. even, even alphabet is um uh has an understudy and she has a cover someone whose exclusive job is to is to be there to um to go on for her if she needs to um and so i uh my agents called and they said we have an audition for you for wicked and i thought oh no this is going to be a disaster. But um, I had at that point done, um, I had done a production of um, Man of La Mancha that Reprise was was doing uh, while Jason Alexander was the artistic director. And I, I've always loved that show. I've never, mm-hmm. I never, I never, I, I've seen some community theater productions of it that were really good. Um and there's a, of course, the housekeeper in that is um, a good, a good role for me. 
Um, and then I found out that Michael Donovan was casting it and Michael McKetty, who I knew from um, Boston court um, and had worked with before and love um, that he was directing it. So I wrote to Michael McKetty and I said, I really hope you're going to give me a chance to audition for this production. And he, uh, the next day I had an audition scheduled. And I so went, wait, 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 this, this was, this was before we got it. got it. Yes. This was before Wicked. Um, and, uh, I, and I went in for the audition and I found myself at the doorway having another panic attack. And I thought, wait a minute, you asked to be here now. You can't, you can't, you can't wimp out on this. You got to just grab hold of it and go in there. So I went in and I had a wonderful audition and I, um, oh God, it was, and it was a great show to be part of, but I, I went in there and I said, okay, I can sing this the way that it's written, but can I show you something else? And she only has one, one song. Um, it's the, um, the song that she sings with her niece and the, um, uh, and the, the, uh, uh, the priest. And, mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, I'm only thinking of him. And she's, she come, each one of them does a verse and she's, she's got the third verse and the, uh, the niece is a soprano and the, the priest is a tenor. So they're singing it very high. And, uh, I came in and I said, could I, could I show you something? So I sang it way down the octave. So instead of, I'm only thinking of him, I sang, I'm only thinking of him. I'm only thinking of him, which was a great contrast to the others and funny. And uh, they said, oh, yes, we love that. And so they cast me. Nice. So the fact that I had just done that show gave me a little bit more confidence. And I thought, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give it all my all. Cause I love Wicked. I think it's a wonderful show. I had seen it five times. Um, I had, I had the, the album of that as well. And, um, and uh, Madame Morrible doesn't have to sing at all if she doesn't want to. That can be totally talk sung. She doesn't have her own song. She has pieces of a couple of songs, but she doesn't have any big things. She doesn't have any big songs. She doesn't have any dancing. Um, so I can handle this. <laughs> <laughs> so I, um, I went in and I found out later. Well, uh, the, the first thing they said to my agent was, this role isn't open right now, but we're looking at everybody because we, this is the first time that we've been out in LA. And so we want to see as many people as possible and build up our, our, um, our ranks. And I knew somebody else who was auditioning for another role in it too. And it was a little daunting, but it wasn't so bad because um, it wasn't really dependent on my singing ability. It was more dependent on my acting ability. And so I had confidence in that. And, uh, and I went in and they, and, and then I got feedback from my agents. They said, we, they really loved you. The part isn't open right now, but they're going to keep you on the, on the books. So then it became like every year they would come, Telsey would come to town and I would go and do my Wicked audition. <laughs> um, Cause this was actually two years before I got cast. Wow. Um, and then it got to the point of, they said, we're not in town, but the part is open now. Could you put it on tape for us? So I went to a professional person. I didn't, you know, this was not the days when you did anything yourself. I went to somebody and I had, and he, and he did a beautiful, it looked beautiful. Um, and I did the, the audition 
and put it on tape and we sent it to them. And, and the fun thing about putting stuff on tape now is that your agents then can see what you do in the room and they can go, Oh, you know what you're doing. Okay. Right. Um, and then we can send you for this. Cause now we know that's what you do. Um, so I, I, I got good feedback. Um, and I can't remember if, I think I think I was getting close, and then they 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 said it was it was it was a while later. They said, "Okay, we need to look at that tape again," and nobody could find it. So I had to go in and do it again. Oh my god! <laughs> and uh, put it on tape again, and uh, went to the same guy, and he it was equally beautiful. Um, the only problem was that he thought the he thought the the witch's name was Alfaba, but um, that's okay. Sure. I don't care. Um, <laughs> then they called again and they said, okay, we really like what you did. Could you do another one just of the singing um, and, and uh, don't sing anything, talk, talk at all. So I went back in. Oh, and I had, I had also gone to somebody and put the music on a disc on a CD so I could drive around with the CD in my car and practice that. And I also had a friend who had done a bunch of Broadway and she helped coach me through it and, and buck up my nerve and so forth. And we would, we would go out into a park and I would um, sing and just read the lines and people would stare at us. And it was very strange. Um, so I did another, I, I went in and I did a third tape and this time I just did the music, which wasn't that much music. Um, and uh did it all without singing every anything at all. Did it all talking, singing. And then I didn't hear anything. And then I suddenly got a call from my agent. I was walking over to in Burbank over by the um, credit union. And I got a call from my agent and he said, okay, we're all here in the, uh, in the, in the office. Cause we all wanted to talk to you. And I thought, Oh, they're going to tell me I didn't get it. And they told me I did get it. Wow. And I had five weeks to close down my life here in Los Angeles, find somebody to live in my house and take care of my cats and pay me to do that. Um, and, uh, and figure out what I was going to need on tour, never having toured ever in my life. And, uh, started asking everybody I knew who had ever, ever toured, what's your advice. And the one thing that they all said to me was live on your per diem and sock everything else away. Smart. Um, and the, actually, the first person I got advice from, that was, the, that was what he said. He also said, um, he said, hey, I, have, I have three pieces of, of advice for you. The first one is live on your per diem and sock everything else away. The second one is buy an umbrella. Trust me. <laughs> and the third one is don't, don't sleep with the chorus boys. And I kind of thought that might have been his own rule. Because <laughs> he was the music director on the tour of... Uh, well, he did. He was music director on a couple of tours, but he was. I saw him when he was here. the The night I I booked it, I went to see um, uh, the show he was music director on, which I think was Madeline. Um, and I went backstage to to see him because he'd been the he'd been the um, accompanist on Man of La Mancha. Um, and and I told him what had happened, and he was like, "Oh, this is so exciting!" And he uh, he gave me some pointers, and a number of other friends who had who had toured gave me it things. But I had no idea what I was in for. I mean, that was a huge learning curve for me, the whole thing of, of that. And then nobody ever said to me, um, uh, you have to do it musically this way. They just let me do what I wanted to do. 
and um and so i i did i i sang more of it much more of it than i than i did talk singing but um uh it was the most exquisite experience i did what i'm sorry what 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 was the experience in terms of city to city obviously stage stages must change yes um yes build wise and and what they can and cannot do right because the i mean i imagine that a broadway stage and i've heard this before a broadway stage is built for that show so it's got elevator lifts and flying capabilities and whatever the needs may be but when you're moving city to city you got to make you got to figure out what the capabilities of that environment that you're going into so what was that like and and what cities what cities did you go to first of all i started in i rehearsed in portland oregon and then I opened in Tempe, Arizona, and I played 21 cities. Um, wow. In uh, 15 months, I performed before about 1.3 million people. Um, I did 509 performances. Um, yeah, well, the only play, the, the tour by that time had been going on for a number of years, and there had been. Uh, two, there was, a, there were two national tours and this was, this was the second national tour. So it played the, the smaller cities, but the first national tour had closed by then. So this was the only national tour at that right. point. So they were playing, um, all the cities and, um, they all, but one of them were by the time I got to it, they had already played those cities before. So the only one that was new was Springfield, Missouri, Missouri. Um, (laughs) every place else they had been before and they could only, um, the, the, the advanced team, they would only book places that they knew could hold the show. It had to be a certain size theater, right? It had to be at least 2,100 seats, but unlike Lion King, it didn't matter whether or not it had a center aisle. Lion King had to have in theaters that that had a center aisle because of of the animals, but, um, didn't matter with that. Um, they didn't. Uh, they faked when the when the witch comes up out of the out of the stage because they couldn't cut a hole in the state in each new stage. It was right. way too expensive to do that, and they didn't have a raked stage, which they do on Broadway. It's a it's it's a um, you know like a um, a ramp kind of stage where it's higher in the back. Right. Um, so this these were flat stages, and they also the set was done so that the. Um, uh, on Broadway, there's there's like another level to the set, so people could walk along the bridge. But the, that that the set that we traveled with was not that that uh, it looked like you could walk up there, but you but you the only person who um, was really above the the stage proper, if you weren't standing on a on on a platform or something like that, was Glinda in her bubble, right. Um, so each state, each stage, the stage itself had to be a certain size in order to accommodate the set and everything on stage was always the same. But the moment you stepped backstage, it was always different. Sure. So sometimes um, I would have a changing booth off stage and sometimes there was room, at, not enough room for that and time enough for me to get back to my dressing room to make changes. Um, in Wichita, I stepped off stage after the first performance and I couldn't find my dressing room. <laughs> I couldn't find my way back because it was a, it was a weird pie shaped theater. And I walked off a door into a, a section of, of backstage I'd never been in before. 
and they couldn't find it. It was I felt like that scene in in um in Spinal Tap where they're lost underneath the city. <laughs> I'm like, please, somebody show me where my dressing room is because I got to be back on stage in five minutes. Um, so what you would do is you would, um, we would we would do the show. We would do eight performances a week, most weeks, except the holidays we did we did more. Um, but we would do eight shows a week. We would have Mondays off, and we would usually finish on a Sunday night performance. And as we were finishing with pieces, they would be loading them into trucks. And there right. would always be, have to be somebody there going, no, don't, don't load that yet. We still haven't used it. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, and then the trucks would, um, would drive to the next space that we were, which was u- usually an overnight trip, trip, but sometimes it would take a little longer. Um, and then we would travel on Mondays then we would have Tuesday off while they were still getting the theater ready. And then Wednesday afternoon, we would report to the theater. We would have a, uh, a company meeting and then do a sound check. And then we would um, do the show that night. And we would do two shows on Thursday to make up for the not doing a show that week on a Tuesday night. So we would still be doing eight shows. Wow. Now on Wednesday, for lack of a better word, because obviously I would call it a rehearsal or a walkthrough, but as you and I used to call it, a stumble through. Well, um, no, it, wasn't, it wasn't even that. It wasn't even that. It was a. It was a. It was a sound check. So you. Yeah, would, that's what I'm saying. You didn't even get a chance to like no. stumble through. No, because oh what was happening on stage was always the same. Everything was always in the same. Right. Everything was relative to it. You would have. You would have rehearsals. Um, a lot of time when they, they were always putting somebody into the show because um, the, the ensemble members could stay as long as they wanted to, to, but the principals, they rotated out. So I started with a nine month contract and then I got renewed. So I ended up a total of 15 months, but they almost never renewed you a, a second time. Right. So they were always cool. putting new people in. Who and were your I, leads when you started? Who were the lead actresses? Started, when you started? It was, it was, um, um, uh, Carrie St. Louis was, uh, Glinda and, um, uh, Alyssa Fox was, was our, uh, Alphaba. And Alyssa went on to, um, be the cover for, um, Elsa in, um, Frozen on Broadway when it wow. first Um, yeah, but she, she was, she was, they were both amazing. They were both incredible. And then by the end of it, I had, I had another, then I got, um, Carrie left and then I got, uh, Amanda Jane Cooper was Mike Linda. And, uh, I think we had, we, yeah, we had a, Emily Cook who had previously been an, an alphabet understudy, um, returned to the show. Actually, Amanda had also done, um, Glinda before. But she she said, "I'm so much better doing it now because I've had my heart broken since then." Oh. <laughs> uh, so what was what was the and then Jessica um, Bosk came in as um as as my final alphabet. Wow. Well, this is a costume, hair, and makeup heavy show. Oh, good and it's Lord, be- yes, and it's beautiful. It is. What beautiful. was what was your time in the makeup chair? Uh well. First of all, um, they designed um, they they did a makeup design specifically for me, 
for my face based on um, the fact that, for instance, I have little squinty eyes. Right. In, in a theater that's um, two or three or 4,000 seats, they wouldn't be able to see my eyes. So they they did they did a couple of attempts and then they eventually brought the co- the makeup person joined us on on tour and designed a makeup specifically for my face that was based actually on drag queen makeup. <laughs> so I, I, I actually had two sets of eyebrows. I had my own eyebrows that were um, a little bit um, softened out and then fake eyebrows drawn above that, so that right. the whole area between my eyebrow and my uh, the end of my eyelid became the eyelid. Um, yes, you had a lift. Yes. <laughs> you had a but, cheap lift. <laughs> <laughs> but once they taught me the makeup, I had to do it myself. Right. So I, I was not in a makeup chair. Um, the only person, the, there were only two people in the show who actually had somebody else doing their makeup. One, of course, is is Elphaba because she's she's got so much green. And the other one is um, when Bach makes the change to the Tin Man. Tin Man, Yeah. And because he's got so much silver, they neither of them could do that themselves. But everybody else just does their own makeup, and you're you're taught how to do it. And then you you do your wig prep. But then I had someone come and bring my wigs and put them put them on, and then take them off and put the next one on. I had I had two wigs that were um, specifically made for me, um, that were made to fit my head, that were. Um, uh, hand woven and so forth. So I had to go before I, in the five weeks when I was getting ready for the show, I had to go to, to, um, some guy in the Valley who, um, covered my head in, in plastic and, um, and made a, um, uh, a form of my head with, to show them, you know, where, where my hairline was and what size I needed and so forth. And then sent that off. I also had shoes that were made specifically for me. Um, although I had to had to wear store bought shoes for the first couple of shows because they take so long because they're made in Italy by a little little, little man in Italy who makes your shoes. Um, I had originally my costumes were were costumes that other people had worn because they had this huge warehouse back in New York where they keep all of the um, all of the the things that have been made because everything of course is handmade. It's not like you can go out and buy a a Madame Morrible costume, but I had the best costumes. And then partway through the run, they decided that my first costume had kind of reached its sell-by date. And so they they made me a, a, a new one specifically for me. And that's about a $1,200 um, uh, dress that was made. Did you get to keep any of this stuff? Oh, the wigs Lord, or the no. outfits? Oh, good no. Lord. Okay. Good Lord, We'll no. cram someone else in it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, you know, they had them they had them on all different sizes by then, so they could they could fit whatever they needed to. I did um I did add a couple of uh well, I added one ring and one pair of earrings that were mine so that I could keep them. Uh cuz they let me decide what jewelry I wanted to wear and they gave mm-hmm. me assortments, but but I I added some of my own and then I was able to keep those. But um and then I also um I had they had all the undergarments and everything the the corset and the the petticoats and so forth but um I added a um uh, I added a skirt underneath so that I could comfortably um change backstage wherever I ended up doing that and not feel right. like like I was exposing my 
big fat white thighs to the world. <laughs> and that was, so that was mine and I got to keep that. But I, and I actually replaced that uh, in the course of uh, over the, over the time. Cause I wore the first one out. How do um, you, how, I'm sorry, I'm jumping around here. How nope. do you, how do you sustain eight shows a week? Um, I was afraid that that would get to be a problem. But first of all, uh, we had uh, we had someone who would come in periodically and um, refresh the show and keep us. I mean, the quality control on this on on Wicked is amazing, which is why it's continued as long as it's continued. And our production stage manager was was a brilliant person to rehearse you into the show and to keep you honest. Um, and then occasionally the creative the creatives would come. And you would get a real brush up then um, before Stephen Schwartz and Winnie Holtzman came to see the show. Um, I got a list of, I think there were five things on it uh, of um, dialogue where I was taking a little bit too much liberty. One where I had forgotten to say, oh, at the beginning of a, of a sentence. And sure. one where I had um, put in a slightly different word, I think. Um, that was that, but it was that detailed. Um, so you you had people who were watching to make sure that it was always on track, but then of course they wanted you also to make it your own. So there were some things that I did that other marbles didn't do, or I did them a certain way, and other marbles didn't. Um, and I was afraid going into it that it would get to be the point, you know, five hundred nine times where you just get. God, do I have to go on with that? And honestly, the only thing that I got tired of was was the prep because I had to be there at least an hour and a half before curtain in order to be ready because there's so much that I had to do before that. And I never liked being rushed. But um, as far as performing goes, um, I was always able to find something new, some new aspect of something, some slightly different way of saying a particular line, some slightly different relationship to who I was on stage with, because although it was many times it was the same people, the ensemble would change. Um, or I would have, you know, some, suddenly I would have an understudy or there would be somebody, somebody was always, it was somebody on stage always that was, that I had never been on stage with before. Um, or somebody backstage that I'd never worked with before. Um, or I had a different dresser or, you know, so there was always something new and that really helped. Um, but there were a lot of times it would be like, you know, I, I, I like having secrets about the character, things that only I know, and I'm not going to tell you what any of them were, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I could change those. Um, right. And I could also change where I was coming from before I make my first entrance or before I enter this scene or where I was going to when I was done with that or how I felt about this particular Glinda um, or this particular, uh, I mean, I had, I had one main um, wizard, Stuart Zagnet was my wizard the whole time that I was on tour, but I got to, I got to perform with both of the understudies, Wayne Schroeder, who um, was primarily was the wizard's father is this tall, um, bald, rather acerbic, um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful actor and wonderful person. Um, and his wizard was very different from Stewart's because Stewart was my height. Um, five foot, uh, well, he's probably a little bit taller than I am, but I'm five foot four when I stand up straight. Um, 
and he wasn't much taller than me. And so he was sort of a, a jolly, friendly, kind of clueless sometimes wizard. Whereas Wayne's wizard knew exactly what he was doing. And then um, Keith, um, Keith Beardsley was the, uh, the swing. And he, w- I went on with him a couple of times. And his wizard was, um, was also smarter, but he was in a, in a more pleasant kind of way smarter so he was a little clueless as to what destruction was going on around him but he was um still uh still you know sharp and and so forth and so my relationships with each of them was different because with with Stuart I was totally in charge and totally messing with him and totally um pulling him around and then I would have I would have relationships with um with Chistery who was the chief uh, flying monkey and there were different Chistery right, right. So some of them I had a, a, a very intimate relationship with, and some of them I was just, he's just the monkey, let him jump around. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, so it was, it was, it was, all, it, it was, it was always different. And um, it was not the chore that I thought it was going to be at all. If you had to single out one moment of 509 shows that stays <laughs> in your head, what's that moment? Oh Lord, there were so many. Um, I mean, it was always fun when something went wrong, um, right? Uh, but those are just little things. I mean, I, the only thing that was a little odd was because we were miked um, and in these enormous spaces. Um, well, that the the mic became an issue once or twice because I would have the, the mic would be under my wig and it would be um, right positioned right at the, at the top of my forehead. And then right. the cord, cord would run down my back and I had a, 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 a pocket in my corset for the mic pack to sit. And there were two times when something went wrong with the mic and I was not double mic'd. The wizard was double mic'd. Alphaba was double mic'd. I think Glinda must have been but I think everybody else had just a single mic. So there was some, one time something went wrong with the mic and they had to change it out. And I, I realized later, this was very early in the run. I'd only been doing it for like two weeks and they needed to change it out. And I realized later that the, the point they had picked was the one, the, the shortest amount of time I had um, to be off stage. And I had to right. like take off the whole jacket and undo the skirt and uh, get the wig off and then get the wig back on and, and all this stuff and uh, barely made it. I made it back on clutching my my dress because I didn't have time to refasten it. And I'm right. holding it up. At that point, I'm holding an umbrella and uh, uh, the invitation from the wizard to give to Alphaba. So I didn't have any free hands to hold my dress <laughs> So that was a load of fun. And that was terrifying. Because all I could think of was, please don't flash the audience. <laughs> um, and then later, there was another time, much later in, in it, when they wanted to change they wanted to change the mic out at that particular point again. And I said, no, you have to wait until this scene is over. And then I've got a good 10 minutes before I have to be back on stage. And there's time. You can't do it right now. Right. I've got four minutes before I have to be back on there holding an umbrella. And I'm not doing that again. <laughs> Oh my but, god! Oh my yeah, god! The stress. There were, there were some amazing. There were some amazing moments. There were some some moments when I would be like on stage with um, 
with uh, somebody and I could see, uh, I, I could see I'd scared them, which is really fine. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I like, I'm supposed to be scary now. Um, but yeah, there were just so many moments. I, I mean, it was, it was an incredible experience. The whole thing was um, just the most, and I, and I learned so much, not just about, I learned more than I thought I would about performing, but I also learned all the other things about, um, about being on stage and, and touring and, um, yeah, traveling and living in hotels and, um, you know, being away from home and all that stuff that were just incredible experiences. Incredible. So I wrap up these shows with three questions. Don't worry, you know all the answers. Okay. <laughs> First one's easiest one of all. Where do people find you and follow you on the lines? Well, um, I I am on Facebook, um, but there's also a Wendy Worthington who's a jazz singer. So make sure you get the right one. Um, so I'm, I'm just Wendy Worthington on Facebook. Um, I'm also on um, IMDB if anybody gets that. Uh, and there is not another Web- Wendy Worthington there. Um, and then you can see all the things that I've done. Um, I have fortunate, been fortunate to have done a lot of film and television. Um, and I don't have a fan page, although I should, because I do have a couple of fans who are Facebook friends that are, uh, uh, most of them are great. One or two of them I shouldn't have said yes to, but that's okay. <laughs> two not questions too, not too two questions to end the show you can answer these back toward anything we've talked about or anything you're feeling in the moment question number one who inspires you oh lord lots of people um let me think because there are some people who that i think are just do amazing stuff. I mean, I'm uh, I'm nowhere near as versatile as she is, but I'm. It was just seeing some of the stuff that Queen Latifah has been doing, and realizing how absolutely versatile she's been. Um, I have gotten to know Brian Cranston a little bit, and he's quite wonderful. I've done a few little tiny things with Tom Hanks, and I I just love his humanity and his sense of humor, and uh. And the fact that he's not, uh, I mean, I think one of the things that fascinates me about, about people who have become very well, very famous is that most of the best actors are also the nicest people. And it's partly because they, they've gotten beyond the point where they have anything to prove. Right. And I think that's a good lesson. Um, and the final, oh, no, I'm trying to, I, uh, if, if I think of anybody else, there there are other people, but I can't think of who they are. <laughs> <laughs> um, the final question is an easy one. It can be anything you want. Tell me <laughs> something good. Tell you something good. I got my first vaccine. I'm getting my second. That's good. One. I'm getting my second one a week from Friday. That's great. Um, By the time this airs, you'll be vaccinated. I'll be vaccinated. <laughs> you can go um, on tour. <laughs> And I've been um, Zooming with, uh, uh, I have a couple of writer friends that we do Zoom regular. Shut up, cat. Um, the cat is one of the good things, too. He's, he's a good COVID companion. Um, 
I just feel like there's finally light at the end of, of, of a very long, dark tunnel that is not just, um, not just politically uh, and uh, health-wise motivated, but uh, yeah, I think we're finally, uh, we're finally getting somewhere with them. And I think that a lot of the stuff that we've been through in the course of COVID and um, and politics and so forth has um, it's made it a lot more difficult in some ways, but it's also made us all a little more aware of um, the things that need to be fixed and maybe how we can fix them. Um, and there's some hope. Thanks again, Wendy, for sharing your full good story. Next time on World Gone Good. My mom, though, you have to understand, as devastated as she was, she would refuse to take any kind of welfare or any kind of help from anyone. She earned her own way. We all had paper routes. I was like, the snowbanks were taller than me as I was going out trying to deliver papers to people. You originally heard my pal Crystal Carson tell her unbelievable Christmas story way back in episode 15, Holidays Gone Good. Well, just like Wendy today, there's way more to Crystal's good story, and you're going to hear it all, the full conversation we recorded, unedited and uninterrupted. It's never too early to get into the holiday spirit, am I right? Can't wait for you to hear this one. Until then, be good. Be good.